Welcome to the Raptor Show on the Sportside Radio Network, brought to you by Camel's new Chunky Spicy Soup. It's time to get fired up. Make sure you find the Raptor Show wherever you listen to podcasts and subscribe, and please interview the show. I'm your host, Wayne Blue. Uh, yeah, we have been off basically for the past week, uh, as the NBA has also taken its all-star break. The Raptors return to action tonight, which means the Raptor Show returns to action this afternoon. Uh, Blake Murphy, so programming out, Blake Murphy, co-host, uh, is on hiatus for the next two weeks, and so... In the meantime, I'm going to have a rotating panel of friends to help co-host the show. So for today, Thursday, and also tomorrow, Friday, we have Big V, Vivek Jacob uh, joining us. Uh, anyone listening to this show for a long time understands who you are, but V, what's going on, man? What do you want to say to the people? I want to say, hey, man, ready for this uh, final stretch, final third of the season? <laughs> Let's get into it. You sound so excited, man. <laughs> it's going to be tough, but I think <laughs> yeah. it's it's about wins and lessons. We're we're in that mode right now, and so yeah. Scotty's development, IQ's development, uh-huh. RJ, and you go down the line. That's what that's what we're looking for. And, Grady, you know Jordan Wara, yeah, Ochai, Ochai. yeah, Ochai. <laughs> you know anybody? Uh, yeah, you're you're right, man. I mean, look, listen. Darko did talk at practice yesterday, and we'll actually get to some of his quotes. We're also going to get to, uh, speaking of practice from yesterday, an interview that I did with Garrett Temple. Uh, I'll play that around 2.30. Um, but Darko did say that they're still trying to win and, and still go for the play-in and hopefully get to the playoffs. Now, I mean, they're like six games behind that right now, even just to get to the play-in. But, uh, yeah. yeah, I don't know. I mean, uh, you know, in, in the meantime, it, it is going to be about the growth of the players. And so... I mean, I think one of the big key growths coming into the season was just how Scotty was going to do. Scotty's clearly taking a step up. We saw him at All-Star Weekend. We didn't get a chance to cover it on the show, and I know it's already like kind of in the past, but did you just real quickly have a favorite moment from Scotty at All-Star Weekend? Well, there obviously there there's the uh, flipping <laughs> the ball behind his back from half court. That was, <laughs> yeah. That was pretty um, funny. I like that. No, I, I think for him to come out in the All-Star game and have a good performance – uh, get some dunks in, knock down a pull-up three, show that, hey, you know, yeah. he's been working on that. And that's kind of the, the biggest piece of his development that we've seen this season and how far that's come along. Mm-hmm. I, I think it was nice for him to show that off a little bit. And, yeah, I think overall just to finish the game with 16 and 8 uh, and have positive vibes coming out of that. Mm-hmm. And just to experience All-Star Weekend as an All-Star as opposed to, you know, being in the rookie game and whatnot – uh, I think that feeling of maybe being around those players and saying, hey, I don't want this to just be a one-time thing. Mm-hmm. I want to make this mm-hmm. a regular thing. And uh, having a chance to mesh with those players is going to be huge for him going forward. Yeah, I mean, look, it, it was really fun to see him have a lot of fun. I think more than anything else, right? All-Star Weekend is um, not that serious of an event. Like, on, on, yeah. like the winning team, Eastern Conference, 211 points to 186 like okay you you understand it's not a serious product but um you know it's it's also like what you make of it as well right and and scotty was amongst a few first time all-stars i thought he among that group stood out to me like i thought he had a better all-star for example than paolo he had a better all-star than like maxi for example um and yeah he played really hard in the game at least in terms of trying on the offensive end honestly there were guys not even trying on the offensive end like yeah i understand not playing defense but like luca Jokic, those guys weren't even trying hard on the offensive end either. 
So I thought Scotty really relished the moment. Luca trying to throw it off the backboard to himself was oh, just goodness. amazing. Well, there was also Jokic trying to do like a cool dunk at the end too. Yeah, they cleared out the runway. Yeah, they <laughs> they, they needed to bring on a trampoline. Honestly, that was tough. Oh man. Um, no, Scotty, I, I like that he did his look back dunk. You know, the one where he catches it ahead of the pack, yeah, and then waits for the defender to come back in. I think it was Devin Booker in this case, and then he dunked it. I mean, he, he does that in the games as well. Yeah, no, um, this was an All Star game. He probably could have waited a little bit more. <laughs> <laughs> he could have took he could have took twenty three seconds out of the twenty four. Yeah, in the shot clock. Um, no, but I was happy for Scotty. Seems like he was really enjoying it. It's also an opportunity to like go celebrate with your family as well. It's just a cool accomplishment. And again, it's the first. That's what he said uh, he relished the most, right? Yeah. Getting to spend time with his family at the weekend and, mm-hmm. you know, them kind of being able to experience all of that and see him be part of the game. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That's, I don't think anyone necessarily said like, hey, I really enjoyed being in Indianapolis, but <laughs> <laughs> it's cool. It's, it's about the company that he was with. Okay. Um, so yesterday at practice, there were a couple of things sort of talked about. Uh, I think number one, one of the biggest talking points, because we got to chat with uh, Emmanuel quickly. And, uh, you know, there was more of a focus on sort of, you know, how he's doing. Because I think at this point, Scotty has done a really great job and his development is still the most important thing. But we feel really like confident about it. And it's like, we've seen what we needed to see for it's the most part, we- right? I think with quickly, it's still more of a TBD. It's, it's a contract year for him. There's a question of sort of how much the Raptors should look to invest in him long term. And honestly, it's just we've seen the growing pains of a player who has gone from being a very effective bench piece, spark plug, to being a featured guy. And so that was a big part of the conversation from practice. And we would like to bring you some comments from both Darko and Emmanuel quickly about how he's transitioned to becoming a starter. It's one thing when you come off the bench and when you play against second, second unit guys. The other thing is when you're a starter on a team and one of the most important players on a team, uh, different kind of defenders are guarding you, different kind of coverages, different teammate is setting a screen for you. Um, there is a lot going through his mind. He's trying to you know, be aware where his teammates are, how to find them, to find the balance for, between being aggressive and to run the team. And that's not a skill that you obtain you know, over the night and you know, over the course of 15, 20 games. You know, I think uh, uh, time is very, very important there and, and patience with him to figure those things out. Yeah, I mean, being in New York, I was probably the fourth guy on the scout report. Now I'm probably like one or two or three so uh, on any given night. So, uh, you know, that's probably a different in that way. And just being able to have different ways to score, get my teammates involved. Uh, and just like I said, trying to get better so that I can do that. How big is learning curve getting used to that new role? Like what's kind of been the biggest adjustment? Um, I think the learning curve is just all about your mindset. If you if you have a, a mindset that you're gonna improve, that you're gonna learn through failure, that you are okay with, you know, being comfortable, being uncomfortable, I think your your chances to learn and get better grow and uh, that's what I try to do. The coaching staff is telling me to shoot lot, a lot more. They think I'm passing up a lot of shots. Um, Still learning when to be ultra aggressive and when to get my teammates involved, uh, the balance of it, um, how to find guys where they want the ball, things like that, uh, flow of the game, rhythm of the game, um, all while, you know, still playing defense at a high level. So, um, you know, it's a lot, but I'm, 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 I'm having fun, uh, you know, learning all of it because I, this is what I wanted. I wanted, you know, to be challenged and, you know, this is what I wanted. So. All right, Vivek Jacob, now that we've heard from them, um, what do you make of Emmanuel quickly so far in his 20 games as a Raptor? 
So 20 games as a Raptor so far, he's averaged 16.2 points, 5.8 assists, four rebounds. Uh, he has shot 40.6% from three. That's, I think, the big thing that people have wanted, that pull-up shooting, that ability to pull up off the dribble. That's excited fans. Uh, the downside is the two-point shooting, right? He's at 39.7% uh, through those 20 games, and you want to see that have an uptick. Uh, over the course of his career, he has shot a lot better from two, so you do expect somewhat of a correction. Uh, and I think for me overall, w what he has said is fair. Through 20 games, you think about what he's experienced. Obviously, he's uh, seen uh, Pascal get dealt. Mm -hmm. Then there's been the, the more recent changes with Kelly Olynyk coming in and Nochai Abaji coming in. And so he's had adjustments to make. Mm -hmm. And going from being that fourth option to now being uh, the second option, sometimes the third option, sometimes the first option, that's a huge adjustment. And so I do think, you know, hopefully over these next 27 games, uh, we see some improvement and especially uh, in terms of his aggression. I, I think he is okay. someone that uh, can be more of a score, uh, have more of a score first mentality. And, and so striking that balance between playmaking, between scoring, uh, is, has sort of been a theme since he's become a Raptor. Uh, and so I would like to see him uh, you know, take on that onus uh, and take on that scoring load uh, mm. a bit more as we go here uh, in this final third of the season. Yeah, okay, so if you were to summarize it all, like if you were to give him a general grade for based on your expectations of what Quickly was going to do coming to Toronto, uh, is one of the two main pieces coming back for OJ Anobi, um versus what he's actually done in his production, what would you give it grade-wise? I'd probably give him like a B-. minus. Oh, B-, minus. okay. Yeah. All right, so this is like... You know. He's, he's meeting expectations, but not by much. Yeah. Okay. Uh, and right. I think when you look at that brief stretch that we saw post the OG Ananobi trade, mm -hmm. I, I think fans were genuinely excited. I, I think we were enjoying watching that team compete. And we saw a lot of the positives that quickly brings to the table, mm -hmm. right? And that was a competitive team. And yeah. then you went into this next stretch where now uh, you're searching uh, – for more from quickly you're searching for leadership from him as well and i think that's the part that he and the others have to grow into and they're trying to figure it out in real time and we're watching them try to figure it out in real time so i, I think that has been more of a challenge uh and fair enough mm -hmm. so I, I think that's where maybe his grade has dipped since because okay. I think if you were to just look at that brief sample size early, it probably would have been higher. Mm -hmm. But I think in the game since, uh, especially with some of the weaker performances that he's had, some of the uh, single-digit scoring nights that he's had, uh, and, you know, low uh, teens uh, scoring nights that he's had, I think that's where some of the frustration comes in. Yeah, I agree with you. I think the overall impact you feel, some games you really notice him, and then some games you don't. And I think that that's not uncommon for any bench player, right? And I think when he was coming off the bench, he was having a quiet night, you just kind of like stow it away. Other guys will step up. Yeah. Starters will do more, whatever. Um, now that when you become a starter, it's like you so much rides with him. And like sometimes I w wish he would come in and almost set the tone in terms of how aggressive he is with his offense. Um, certain games he's been able to do that. But again, it, it's kind of a hit or miss kind of thing. Um, overall, the numbers are good. I think one thing... I. I Again, it is still a small sample with only 20 games, but um, he hasn't been as big of a pull-up three-point threat as maybe I expected it to be. Uh, I think coming over from New York, he was at like 40% uh, 
shooting on pull-up threes. I think since the trade, he's been around 29% from uh, on pull-up threes, um, which, you know, it's it's not the biggest difference. You know what I mean? It's, uh, But still, I feel like if you were on paper, you know, bringing him in, it's like you need him to be a pull-up scoring threat, get his own shot a lot of the time. And then that way, it'll open up opportunities for other guys. And, of course, the Raptors just were short on perimeter uh, playmaking in general, especially shot making. And you expected him to come in and do that. He hasn't necessarily gone off the ground in that way. I think the other thing that is a little bit worrisome for me is just the two-point percentage. As you mentioned, his career-wise, he's been pretty efficient for you know in terms of inside the arc. But since joining the Raptors, he's... Uh, I'm pulling up the numbers now. Yeah, 39.7%, as you mentioned earlier. He's a career 47% uh, from two and... and you know, in New York at the start of the season, at fifty-one percent inside the arc. We know he's got a killer floater, um, but what are you seeing from his game in terms of just getting his efficiency back up inside the arc? Besides the fact that he he should be a good three, a pull-up three-point shooter, maybe he just has enough uh, time to show it in Toronto. So I think first with the pull-up three, I think he that's where we see some of the struggles in the decision-making. It's like, hey, should I take this shot? Should, should I move the ball on? Should I look, be looking to create? Um, and I think when you have this Raptors type of offense where you're being asked to make very quick decisions, mm. you, you are, and, and you've, in my viewing of him, I get the sense that he's been premeditated and just like, hey, I'm just going to like run the play here as opposed to like, oh, I've got to look, I'm going to take it, mm. you know? Okay. Um, and I think, I think we're going to see a lot of thinking until it becomes... Na- uh, just a natural part of him running the offense. And okay. so I think that's where the decision-making on the pull-up shooting uh, has hurt him. And then in terms of finishing around the basket, uh, I think for one, he doesn't really know how to like do the Nash move and just you know keep his, maintain his dribble mm, okay. uh, and you know take something if it's there, maybe keep searching, right? He, he, he does tend to pick up that dribble uh, a bit early. And I think that's what maybe causes him problems. Um, and I think some of it is the adjustment in terms of the big he's been playing with as well, right? Okay. He has uh, started with Jacoperto. Then he got hurt. Yeah. And then he started with Jonte Porter. Thad. Thad. So I think that has impacted things as well. Mm-hmm. Um, overall, I think I would like to see him in more actions with Scotty Barnes. Right? Okay. I yeah. think in terms of the long-term outlook of this franchise, right now those are the two players at one and two. Mm-hmm. And so you want them to develop as much chemistry as possible to carry into the offseason. You want them to develop an understanding as much as possible. I think the OKC game was a perfect example of what not to do. You look okay. at the fourth quarter, you look at the overtime, there were barely any actions that involved both of them. There was a lot of quickly that one. Yeah. That one he could definitely notice quickly. Yeah. Yeah, but not as much Scotty for that game. Exactly. Yeah. And that's where I think I want to see both of them consistently involved together. Okay. Um, and, and so I think developing that chemistry should be uh, really important going down the stretch here. Mm-hmm. Obviously, you want to maintain uh, what you have uh, in terms of the big picture offense and how you run it. And maybe that's what's impacting some of it. And obviously, RJ has been been tremendous, so you're trying to make sure he gets his touches too. Mm. Uh, so I think in terms of getting the best out of IQ, those are the uh, aspects that he's 
got to develop. One with the pull-up three-point shooting, when the look's there, just take it. Mm-hmm. Just take it, like, seriously. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and, and then, you know, with the dribble, uh, as you're penetrating, you know, keep that dribble alive. Uh, try to get as deep as you can. Try to survey the floor. If it's not there, as, as long as your dribble is alive, mm-hmm. like you're a threat, right? Don't, don't take that dribble away. And lastly, uh, you know, let's, let's get those reps with Scotty going. Yeah. You know what's actually funny? Listen to this. And we're going to talk about the Bucks later on. We're going to have Sir Sohi of the Ringer or to come on to just talk about the league in general. But I definitely want to take a little bit of time to pause about the Bucks because they keep giving all these like interviews and comments and it just doesn't sound happy at all. Like clearly there's an issue there despite them being like a still like second in the East. Um, but one of the main conceits with the Bucks is like, okay, Dame and Giannis on paper makes perfect sense. Put them in a pick roll together. Magic is going to happen out of this. And then that's not really what happened. You know what I mean? And I feel like, obviously, Scotty is not on the level of Giannis, and IQ is definitely not on the level of Dame. But it's like a, almost like a watered-down version of that. It's like, it, on paper, it makes perfect sense, but in practice, it takes a lot of time to figure out everything. It's not as simple as just put them together. It's also about how you occupy the weak side, all the other stuff. I get it. But in general, I totally agree with you. That's the coaching challenge for Darko is – not only to bring the best out of IQ, and by the way, IQ is actually posting career highs in Toronto, but I think the expectation is even higher than that. Yeah. Um, but that's the coaching challenge for Darko is to find ways to get them maximized with each other. Mm-hmm. You know, and yeah, again, I, ideally you like to see a one-two punch type of thing with Scotty and quickly, but right now I think Scotty is very much like leagues ahead of the rest of the team. And then other guys are able to step up sometimes at number two. Like RJ sometimes steps up so number two. Honestly, more often than not, RJ's second in the team in scoring, if not even first sometimes. But quickly, he's so, like really sometimes there and sometimes he's really low. And how do you find that consistency is really just, again, a coaching challenge to me. Like, are, do you have confidence that Darko can figure this out? Well, I think when you look at Darko's reputation, it has been all about development. And okay. so, it, and he's developed a fair number of guards, to be yeah. fair, as well. Yeah. And so, I think in terms of uh, bringing out d- different elements of players, obviously, we know Desmond Bain is the prime example, right? And, and Desmond Bain, you know, sort of went to Darko and said, "Hey, this is one of what I want to work on." And Darko was pretty direct with him, and he was like, "Hey, you can do way more than that, and you should be looking to do way more than that." And so, I hope that he's having similar conversations with all of the Raptors, mm-hmm. right? And I think quickly, we've talked a lot about his offense, but defensively too, he needs to make strides as an on-ball defender. Mm-hmm. And I think we've seen him be a good team defender, but I think part of the challenge going forward as well, right, in evaluating this core and this core growing is, okay, there's challenges for RJ Barrett as an on-ball defender. There's challenges for IQ as an on-ball defender. So, to be a sustainable core, mm-hmm. both of them are going to have to take strides uh, on that end of the floor. Right, right. Especially because out, outside of Scotty and I guess Jakob, um, there isn't a like team defensive structure around to hide certain people. And I don't feel like they're necessarily on paper guys you need to hide. Like I'm obviously quickly a little smaller, a little bit more slender, but like I think all, he's not necessarily a guy you look at like you have to hide him. And RJ in particular has no excuses. Right. RJ has the profile to be a good defender as well. So that's that's up to these guys to, to continue to improve and grow. And that's why they brought Darko in, to, to show growth and individual growth in these players. And, um, yeah, he got the midseason, so it's a little bit harder to just, like, hit the ground running immediately. But, uh, no, I think, to me, quickly has shown enough, like, flashes, really, really good games, you know, that I think 
and especially his skill set on paper makes a lot of sense. But it's about the consistency. And I think my other question to that is just like, you know, what, what are you comfortable paying him in the offseason? Because he's a restricted free agent, so the Raptors can match whatever offer comes to him. Um, but is there a number that starts to get you a little bit squeamish about, okay, maybe we don't necessarily want to keep him at that high of a price? Yeah, I think, you know, when you first sent me this question, I, I felt like a sweet spot was probably around four years, 90 million. Okay, so that's like 24 yeah. year kind of thing. And, and the reports that, that have come out while he was with the Knicks were that he was looking for something in the 25 million per year range. He's uh, basically there. He's yeah. going to be turning 25. Mm-hmm. Um, so he basically wants to be that 25 sitting on 25 mil. And so if you <laughs> okay. want to give him that. I can I can see that right uh, like if if that you know having that nine figure being like hey I made a hundred mil four years a hundred mil if that's what makes him happy you get it done right the the other course is hey you're a restricted free free agent mm-hmm. you see what's out there and you just match whatever's out there yeah. and then you just play it how it plays out mm. yeah I mean I think there is a bit of a risk in terms of. You know, you just you don't want a repeat of the Fred situation where you looked at the market, you're like, okay, we feel like we're in control. Now, it's a totally different situation because that was unrestricted. But in that situation, what they couldn't control was a team like Houston coming in and being like, here's the max. No one ever looked at Fred and said, that's a max level player. No offense to Fred. Um, but Houston had the right money and the right situation. And they said, why not? Let's actually go get this guy. And so here's the money. And that kind of took the power away from Toronto in that situation. I don't think Toronto necessarily even had that much power because he was unrestricted. This is different. He's restricted. But is there like a surprise team out there that you would be worried about? Because I I, I don't know. I mean, there, there's not that many great young point guards that are available in free agency. You know what I mean? And usually teams retain those guys. Yeah. Um, so I'm worried about like if a Detroit or an Orlando jumps in and it's like, here's this huge bag. Right. Yeah, and no, then Toronto has to be in a bad situation where they're like, okay, well, we actually got to match it or we just let him walk, which in this case would be terrible. We have nobody to replace them. Of course, yeah. yeah. No, I think uh, Detroit is in a similar type of boat as Houston in that because of how much they've lost over the years, they will have to throw a boatload of money, right? And they have the money to do it, so they can just say, here, here's the money. We want to pair you with Cade and move forward. Mm-hmm. Um, does that does Detroit seem like the kind of place that would want to do that? Because they also have Ivy. No, it, who's breaking out? Ivy's been getting minutes and he's been yeah. playing well, and so I think that's a, a question that they have to ask themselves. But uh, to your point about Orlando, in terms of wanting a shooting threat, that shooting from deep is something that they have struggled with on the whole. Yeah, and so sure. they would look at a quickly and say, okay, this is someone that can address uh, a major need that we have, and so. Uh, I think those are two threats that you have to be mindful of mm-hmm. uh, in terms of, you know, maybe uh, taking the money to a place that you don't necessarily want it to go. Yeah. At the same time, I don't think the Raptors, you know, go out and make the deal unless they had a good idea of what it was going to take to sure. keep him in Toronto. I think, you know, a lot of this is also on, on quickly, right? This is why, yes, the remaining end of the season, like we don't, we're not looking at the Raptors to do any noise in the playoffs or anything like that. But it's pretty important in terms of the growth of the franchise. And um, we still have this huge chunk of the year where these guys can continue to grow and show, A, how they fit with each other, B, how they can work towards becoming a winning product down the line. Um, and that's going to influence a lot of like 
what you're going to pay them generally. Like it's it's up to quickly more than anything else, right? Like the more that he's able to find consistency, have those really good games, be effective in the two-point range, also get back to being a really, really good pull-up three-point shooter, develop that chemistry with Scotty, that just bumps the price higher and higher for himself. And honestly, that makes the situation better and better for Toronto. Because the better he plays, the more comfortable you with um, you are with like retaining him. But clearly, they identified him as one of those guys that they wanted um, in that OG deal, and so you know it's up to him, really. And honestly, when he's when he's on, I really do enjoy his game quite a bit. The skipping, the three point like celebration, yeah, it makes a lot of sense as to sort of what um, you know the fit would be. But again, like on paper, it's just on paper. In practice, right now, it's 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 up and then it's down. It's up and it's down. It's Hopefully he gets like three out of every four games he's good. And that's to be expected with a young team, right? Sure. And, and again, it's a new role for him too. Yeah, new yeah. role and what's been an ever-changing roster since he's come in. Mm-hmm. And so I think, uh, you know, when you look at Darko's comments uh, at the practice, he was basically calling it the, the vibe like a training camp, right? He said, <laughs> he said this like four times now, man. <laughs> <laughs> Not a lot of training, a lot of camping. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but I think... When you look at these final 27 games, mm-hmm. now I think you want to see just a lot more consistency, right? You know, you have a good idea of what the rotation should look like. Mm-hmm. You have a good idea of who you're going to be starting with, who's going to be coming off the bench, where uh, your minutes are going to be uh, de- deployed. And so I think with that, it is fair to ask for more consistency. Yeah. And uh, I think... If you can get IQ to have a bit of a correction in the two-point range, mm-hmm. uh, from his standpoint, you know, I don't think the next 27 games is going to change too much in terms of the contract offers he gets. Okay. Right? But, like, unless unless he were to somehow come out and average, like, 30 and 8 the rest of the way. That'd right? be ideal. Like, That'd that, be ideal. That, that would obviously blow the expectations out of the water. Now, all of a sudden, like, I think the max he's eligible for uh, with incentives is about five years, 145. Okay, right? I, don't, I don't think it's going to come close There's to no that, way it's going to come close to that, yeah. right? But, you know, in his mind, how close can he get to that, right? Mm-hmm. W- what does he do over the next 27 games that really blows expectations out of the water? Like, yeah. for me, I, uh, like I said, I'm currently sitting at the four years around 90. Mm-hmm. I think that's about fair. Because... Um, on some level, you're paying for the potential. You're paying for what he's been so far, which so far yeah. has been 16, 5, and 4, mm-hmm. right? And so, uh, yeah, it, it, I think it's an interesting challenge for him individually. Yep. And I think everything is now in place to have the consistency to try and bring, you know, at least a 20-point scorer out of him down the stretch. Mm. I mean, hey, honestly, if he, if he reaches that mark, I think we'd all feel a little more comfortable too. Um, this is good. I, I want to review RJ tomorrow. Yeah, let's, let's do it. Let's just do some show playing. Yeah, because <laughs> again, it's it's really just about the next half, or not the next half, the last third of the season. Yeah, and what to watch for. And quickly for me is like right up there. Like if not number one, number two for me. Yeah, in terms of what to watch for his growth. But uh, I think that was a good discussion. We're gonna take a quick break. Been your host Willow. You've been listening to the Raptor Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network, brought to you by Campbell's New Chunky Spicy Soup. When we come back, I want to talk about a veteran, Garrett Temple. Diving deep into Leafs, Raptors, Jays, and NFL. The J.D. Bunkins Podcast. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. (laughs) 
Welcome back to the Raptor Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. I'm your host, Ben Liu. Uh, yesterday at practice, I was able to get down to get another exclusive, uh, this time with uh, Raptors shooting guard Garrett Temple, 14-year NBA veteran, uh, just to talk, not necessarily about the team, but because it's Black History Month, wanted to talk about his family history and uh, his considerable um, just track record in activism and just his thoughts, especially based on his role in the union in terms of how the league has been run um, in the last five years or so, because there's been a lot to, to, to hammer out. And UCBA, the handling of the bubble. So anyway, um, this is our conversation with Garrett Temple. Okay, we are down here at Raptors practice. Once again, joining the show, Garrett Temple. Appreciate your time. Um, yeah, how was the break for you? We, we, saw you, we saw you pop up at uh, Dennis's little birthday party. Yeah, man, you know the family. Uh, my kids, Dennis's kids, uh, Junior turning five, so that was great uh, to be able to be around around them. Obviously, Dennis is my guy, so it was great to see him again. Um, we'll see him again tomorrow, obviously. I'll probably highlight him tonight, but uh, the break was great, man. Much needed. It was my first time in a, probably the last six years not going to All-Star, at least okay. for a day or two, uh, being on, on the executive committee and having to attend those meetings. So just doing it virtually was, was nice. We went to Dominican Republic. Uh, my wife, my kids, um, and Jama was actually at the same resort uh, nah. as us. So with his kids and his planned? wife. So that was great. No, it wasn't planned, but okay. I found out after booking that a lot of people were going to DR, and and uh, and Jama and I ended up at the same resort. Very kid friendly. It was it was a great great time. Great time. That's awesome, man. That's a it's, it's a better story than my break. So we're not going to talk about <laughs> what I did on my break. Right. Um, okay. So I wanted to chat. You know, a bit about the Raptors, um, but mostly I actually wanted to talk about this Black History Month, really wanted to get into your family history, right? And it's a story that you've told a few times, but I would love to to, to have the Toronto audience also understand sort of your background, your history. It's it's, it's very storied. But actually, just a quick question, because I was chatting with both Masai and then Bobby, you know, just uh, earlier, and I told them I was going to interview you. And I was asking him the question, like, you know, whenever you want to hang it up, whenever you're done, do you want to go front office? Do you want to go in coaching? Like, what do you want to do? Do you still want to be in the game? And, and if so, like, what do you want to do? Because it feels like they were both confident you, you can do either one. Yeah, I, uh, I'll answer that question first. It's, uh, it's definitely something that's been on my mind, something that I, uh, you know, I think uh, I'll have, you know, a few opportunities, a couple of opportunities either way. Um, I want to stay. I do want to stay around the game in some some capacity. I think that'll be great. You know, my son loves basketball. Family loves loves basketball. The only downside is the travel. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's having a family. It's, it's not easy on a family on a marriage. Um, so it, that that's something I'm, I'm gonna discuss with my wife and my kids. But it's definitely something I've thought about doing. Something I've researched. I've talked to you know former players that have gone into the front office. Former mm-hmm. players that have become coaches. And just see their their mindset and um, and see if our values align and, and and how how that will work. So it's definitely something I'm thinking about. Front office or coaching, it's really either one. Yeah. Well, I mean, those two are both confident you can do either one, and I think that that speaks to the time and the 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 history that you put into the game. So um, speaking about history again, because it's Black History Month, really wanted to talk about just your family history in particular, and I wanted to start with your grandfather. All right, call us. Um, I think. Well, I want you to tell the story about sort of him going to LSU and ultimately being denied to uh, go into the master's program um, and sort of the history there. Because it's three generations of you guys yeah. at LSU now. Yeah, it's actually – so I'll have to, you know, correct that. Okay. Him trying to go to LSU. 
So okay, he okay, went to right. my grandfather, College Temple Senior, went to Southern University, which is the HBCU, the historically black college mm-hmm. in, in Baton Rouge, Louisiana, um, in 1930, I want to say, is when he attended there. And uh, he tried to get a, he got his degree in agriculture. And he tried to go get his master's in the uh, late 40s. Okay. Uh, he tried to attend LSU when he was 30-something years old, late 20s, early 30s. And LSU denied him because he was black. And Thurgood Marshall had a lawsuit uh, against a, a, a few of the um, public universities in the South mm. uh, that were denying people entrance because of the color of their skin. Uh, my grandfather got wind of it. He was about to... I guess maybe add LSU to the lawsuit. And I don't know how, but the Louisiana legislature found out and they approached my grandfather and told him, um, we'll, be able, we'll pay for you to, we'll create some, some type of grant mm-hmm. to pay for your uh, master's degree just as long as you don't put LSU into, the, wow. in, into this lawsuit. And, um, and my grandfather at, at that time had four kids. My dad is the youngest of six, he's the only boy. So my dad wasn't born yet. And then um, my grandfather decided, okay, you know what? Michigan State has a great program that I, I, I'd love to go to. So he started going in the summers up to Michigan State, and his school was paid for. Um, and by the time my dad got to age three or four, early 50s, my grandfather had finished, and he, my dad remembers going to Michigan State to watch my, my grandfather walk across the stage and get his master's degree. Wow. Um, so that's his story, which is a, an amazing backdrop to my dad's story of becoming a, you know, his senior year going to school with white people for the first time in his life. Right. Okay. Um, okay. as a senior in high school. Right. And this and is in the South. This is in the South in yeah. Kenwood, Louisiana. Yeah. Um, so he was, you know, 16 years old, starting school, 16, 17, first time in his life going to school with white people. If anybody has ever seen the movie, remember the Titans. Yeah, yeah. You play football and basketball, the football team. You know, you start off workouts before school starts, and and they were able to create a bond. He played. Uh, he starred on the football team. They went undefeated and, uh-huh. yeah, and yeah, won yeah. the state championship, just like the movie. Okay, um, so hold, hold on, hold on, because I, I read the story and then I was like, I realized I never watched Remember the Titans. Uh-huh. So I actually last night. <laughs> I took the time out to to watch the film yeah. just to make sure that you know we're on the same level. So, who who was who was your who was your dad supposed to be, or who's which character was your dad based off of? No, he wasn't film. based off. So oh, the okay, film okay. isn't based off my dad's okay. team. The film is based off a team in Virginia. Okay, but okay, my gotcha. dad, when he first watched the movie, yeah, he said, "This is basically this what is exactly how my senior year yeah. was." Okay. And um, and this, I mean, you know, there was. Because he went to an all-black school up until his junior in high school, so they had a great team. Mm -hmm. And they had great athletes at the white school as well. And Mm -hmm. it just so happened that uh, Britney Spears, her dad was the star quarterback. Wow. So a small world. Yeah, very small world. They actually had their, I want to say, 50-year reunion Uh uh, two years ago. Um, Okay. But they won a state championship, and, and, uh, and my grandfather had the forethought of understanding what my dad going to LSU would mean to mm-hmm. African Americans in and in Louisiana, but also in the South. So when the governor, then this is the crazy part, you know, it wasn't the head coach that recruited my dad or even the athletic director. It was the governor of the state. Wow. That recruited my dad to come play at LSU. And uh, I guess they probably thought they had to 
you know, put their best foot forward once since they denied my grandfather. And uh and my grandfather, yeah, you so know, at least you guys were old. Yeah, man. he put his ego aside and um and he he understood uh how like I said, how much this would mean to to people that look like us. Mm. And my he he figured he felt like my dad was ready. He had been raised right. And uh my dad went there and he was it wasn't easy for him. He'll tell a lot ask. of stories. Yeah. yeah. He'll tell a lot of stories about the times he wanted to go back home. He grew up about an hour and a half from from LSU's campus. And um, the guy named David Duke, who was at one point the Grand Wizard of the Ku Klux Klan, yep. they uh, they had a couple of run-ins, you know, um, verbal run-ins with each other on campus. David Duke was a junior. My dad was a freshman. So when you say that, it's like a debate club kind of thing? Or Not debate it, club. Oh, no, they had, up on each other. So they had something called Free Speech, Free Speech Alley okay. at, on campus. And uh, it was right near the Union. And people used to just talk about, you know, talk about things. Okay. Especially in the 70s, it was really, a, lot, really, a lot, of, lot to talk about. And people really had uh, their, their opposing views on certain things, obviously. And my dad was 6'8", with a big afro, mm. you know. Uh, was very proud of who he was as a black man. And right. um, obviously that may have gone against what David Duke's views are. So I think, I think we know that. Yeah, I think we know that. <laughs> but it was just, it was, uh, it was a very difficult time for my father, but he would not change it for, for the world. Mm. And um, he grew a lot as, as, a, as a man and as a person while he was there. So for you growing up, um, I guess I, I'm not sure how much of this you remember, how much of this you were around, but like... What, what kind of impression did that make on you, the struggles that your family had to go through? A great deal. You know, again, like I said, that my dad was never the type, my dad and mom, um, they were never the type to to shy away from speaking truth about the social fabric of America um, and the things that uh, as, as, as black people in America, we have to, especially black men, I, I, I was raised with my two older brothers. My sister was born when I was 16. So as black men growing up, um, we wanted to be educated. We wanted to know that we had to do do things a little little uh, more detailed and, and, and better than everybody else in order to make sure we got certain advantages. And um, you know, we understood what life was about. So uh, again, we t- he told us a lot of stories about what happened back then and and how him going there has set us up for certain situations, but. Mm-hmm. We understood uh, what his sacrifice meant and um, and the legacy that he was trying to leave. So you mentioned the importance of education. I think last time we we spoke, you you mentioned that you were trying to complete your LSATs and and maybe you know go to law school, you know pursue more education there. We also obviously take you take a lot of time out of your day to you know in your involvement with the MBPA. Or are these things all directly related? You know what I mean? Like, yeah, I think so. You know. Um, I think education is a big piece uh, for for my family. Um, my dad was the first person, to, you know, kind of mentioned to me about going to law school. Mm-hmm. Um, he's he's been my dad and mom are both. Uh, they they pushed me. They've pushed me since I was young. Yeah. In school, uh, in everything that I do, my mom has a saying. You know, whatever you do, uh, be the best at it. You know, do it to the best of your ability. So. Um, I definitely think that has, that's resonated with me and, you know, trying to challenge myself, um, you know, at, at, you know, on, on that type of level where, uh, you know, I have to challenge my mind as well as my body is something that I get from my, from my parents. Yeah, well, I mean, you know, speaking to the MBPA in particular, I mean, um, 
this is something where, if I understand it correctly, you guys aren't even, it's not like, you're not doing this for compensation. You're doing this no. because you want to represent and advance, um, you know, the players and, and, you know, everything that you guys can do there. And, of course, you just got reelected as well to a new term. Um, you know, I, I think for, for me, the, the question is, you know, this new, the new CBA on, on our end, on the media side, we're still trying to comprehend it. And so we're still trying to, like, understand, um, you know, the new nuances that come to have come into it. From what I understand, it does, and I'm, I understand it's a very, very basic understanding, but it's, it's, it's almost like a soft hard cap in a way, right? There's a lot of limitations to what teams can do. Take me through some of the negotiations there in terms of, like, the players accepting this and some of the, you know, the push and pull factors as to why you guys agreed to certain terms yeah. in this current uh, deal. Yeah. So, I mean, the CBA is, is crazy long, and I can't, yeah. I can't, you know, uh, lie and say that I've read the entire thing. Um, but the... The biggest part is that there were situations where the um, governors, as well as us, we both enjoyed the situ the the area we were in in terms of the amount of money we were bringing in as a league, mm -hmm. where the league was going as a whole, and we wanted to make sure that there were certain things that we wanted, there were certain things that they wanted. Um, we were we had negotiables, you know, non-negotiables that we weren't willing to give up, and, what we, were those and we did not have to give those up. Uh, hard cap. Specifically, okay, no hard a hard tap, no okay. no hard cap. At the end of the day, that's one thing that makes our, you know, our league, our players, be able to move, be able to do certain things that they want to do. Right. Um, and uh, you know, the players at the end of the day in our game are very recognizable. Mm -hmm. The fans know them. A lot of times in the NBA, you have fans of teams, but nowadays. A lot of people are more fans of players totally. than they are of teams. So the NBA understands that. It's a business. They want to keep players happy as well as make it profitable for the, for the governors. It's a business as well. Mm. So I think Adam understood that, you know, people talk about players' movement and, and players having control. At the end of the day, the players are the product, and, and, and fans go as, as we go. Mm -hmm. um, so the non-negotiable main thing was hard cap. Uh, uh, this was about a year and a half. It was two years ago. Um, they they really never pushed on any other non-negotiable that we had. Okay. Um, what about the? I think there was talk of like maybe they you know you, you get it back to like you can come straight from high school. Yeah. So th th there was talk about that. Um, there's not there wasn't something that the players were pushing crazy. That's not mm. something that the owners were pushing crazy. Okay. So um, just left it as is, yeah. We left it as is. Again, and this is something that can easily be revisited. That's sure. the thing about a CBA. There are amendments. So you want to nail down the things that for sure they want it, for sure we mm. want it. You want that to get nailed down. The other things can always happen. You know, it, it, because the CBA happened a year and a half ago, a year ago, doesn't mean, you know, coming out of high school won't happen until the next CBA. Sure, that that yeah. can be changed. Got you, got you. Well, I, I think for, for you as well, I always wanted to ask about just the bubble, right? Because I think that was the time where so much was going on, right? Um, you know, uh, COVID had just, like, really come on, and, and, and there was so much importance. And, and at that time, there was so much, like, fear as to, like, is it going to be safe, right? What are the logistics? You guys are all just getting put into this whole thing. And I think you spoke out just a little bit about it. I think rightfully so. You were a little nervous in terms of just, like, how it was all going to be. Um I mean, take me through some of those conversations back nah, then. No question. Back now, now, you know, that was probably the most time I've spent on the phone on Zoom. Um, just trying to get a feel for, the, you know, where we're at. As, as a executive committee, we talked at least 
once a day. Um, and at the same time, we were trying to find a new executive director. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm looking at Jennifer Quinn's Walt Disney World Orlando NBA Restart badge, yeah. and that makes me think about that. Uh, she also put this here, by the way. Yeah, I, I yeah, I love it. I'll, I'll, I'll tell you what that is later. <laughs> okay. um, but that, it, it, it was it was great conversations. Right, it was right, great right. to have guys on. Kyle is not a part of Kyle Lowry is not a part of mm-hmm. the executive committee, but he was on a lot of calls. Just you know, we're getting we're getting feedback from players and teammates. Because at the end of the day, this is our livelihood. Mm-hmm. Some guys are set for life and didn't need to play another game. Some guys needed needed their money. Yeah. Um, some guys were trying to make a team and wanted to get a sure. chance to play. So you have all of that, all of those dynamics on top of the health, whether or not you can get COVID. We never, we didn't understand the long-term effects. We still don't understand the long-term effects of COVID. Mm-hmm. I personally had a, everybody had personal situations. For I sure. personally had a wife that was pregnant at the time. Um yeah. So, you know, me leaving for two months, three months, some people that have that have kids may say, well, it depends on when you left. That might have been the best time for you to leave so she could be by herself. <laughs> but not wanting to bring back anything. So yeah. a big thing for me was making sure the bubble, if we did a bubble, that no people could come in without being tested multiple times mm-hmm. because I did not want to bring anything back yeah, to, my, to my wife. Of course. Um, so it was a lot to, to talk about, a lot about the restart, a lot about, um, you know, the money that was going to be taken out. How much money were we going to be able to make at the restart? Mm-hmm. How much money have we made up until now? Because the escrow and, you know, so many, so many things that are pretty convoluted that needed to be worked out. And I think, you know, you, you have to applaud Adam uh, for what he was able to do to get that back and, and applaud us as players for taking that that chance. Mm-hmm. And I think we were the first, you know, it professional was. team, yeah. professional sports. It was. Professional sports league to go back and, and, and you know, and uh, provide that entertainment at, at a time where well, we it was needed. It, it yeah, was needed so it, man. needed, man. And, um, you know, it was needed for us as, as well, loving the game. But, you know, when I got back home, I definitely watched, mm-hmm. you know, and, and I understood what that respite was, uh, you know, was able to give people in yeah. a time where, Obviously, there were a lot, of, a lot more things more important than basketball going on. But right. it's always nice to be able to have a little time to ref- to just you know lay your head down and, and, and be entertained. Well, I know banter aside. I mean, I know the Raptors. You actually played against the Raptors in that series. I mean, right. people don't remember that Raptors Brooklyn series all that much. I, I want to ask too because this is the most important question I had, and I know that PR is kind of outside right now. I appreciate their patience on this. I think it's an important topic. It was such a – I think it was the NBA in terms of the modern age. We're talking about the last, like, 20, 30 years. Biggest moment in terms of NBA players stepping up for activism, right? It was the height of the Black Lives Matter protests. Mm-hmm. Players uh, boycotting games, you know, essentially a, a wildcat strike by yeah. the yeah. Magic, by the uh, the Bucks, Bucks. Raptors, uh, Celtics. Game one, I remember they didn't play it on time. They said, we're not going to come. This is this is way too much for us right now. As someone who was in the union at that time, how did you guys handle that? How did you guys support the Man. players' rights to do that? No, it was amazing. Um, and not to mention, you know, we talked about all the things union-wise that was going on. We had so much going on, you know, in the world. As you mentioned, George Floyd and, and um, others. Uh, so just in general, socially in, the, in America – Things were in an uproar, especially for black America. Mm-hmm. And that was another reason why I wanted to, I, I pushed 
you know, I was a proponent of us going down there to be able to speak on things that we cared about because people were going to watch. We were going to have more eyes than ever before. And I think guys really took advantage of that. Um, and, you know, a friend of mine, George Hill, was a really big proponent of Milwaukee um, uh, not playing that game. Mm-hmm. Uh, I actually, again, like you said, y'all swept us when I was in Brooklyn, so I was home uh, yeah. when when they set out of their, their playoff game. But, you know, we were on the phone talking, uh, and we, you know, again, we have a great commissioner that held that allowed us to to do that and found ways around uh, us speaking our truth and, and, and um, you know, being able to voice our opinions on certain things and at least get the message out there. Mm-hmm. And then we'll go back to playing, right. but the, at least the message is out there. They understand how we feel about what's going on. And I think that's the biggest thing of what a protest is supposed to do. It's supposed to shed light on something. Yeah. And then after that, there are certain things that you can do. So for us, being able to do what we did in the bubble and create that, um, the monies that, that go towards the certain things they go towards now in terms of minority uh, things, I think that was really big for us. And I, I agree with you. It was probably a, a turning point. Yeah, I, I think, honestly, uh, you know, I guess I've never really thanked an NBA player for doing that, but you guys really, like, stepped up, took command of the situation. And I know there's obviously lots of business partners, everything like that. It's it's not you can act on everything you want to do all the time, but it was a, a real important seminal moment in sports. And uh, I just hope that that same, like, momentum and that engagement can just be, like, sustained throughout. And I'm sure you feel the same way. But no question. We run out of time. Uh, we could talk for a long time about this, but you know, I appreciate you as always, man. And, uh, best of luck with the rest of the, the rest of the season. Maybe we'll have you on again and we'll talk more about this subject. Appreciate you, my guy. All right. Yeah. That was the interview with Garrett Temple. Again, I really appreciated his time. Very thoughtful person. As you can tell, um, his family history is really, really storied by the way. And, um, I don't think the interview itself even does it justice. You can find a lot more, uh, of his conversations. Honestly, he's done a lot of work with. Mark Spears in particular of Anscape. So if you just search Garrett Temple and Mark J. Spears, you'll find a lot of great stories. But a really, really fascinating man to talk to. And uh, yeah, I hope it's not the last time I get to interview Garrett because I think there's a lot more stories to be told there. Uh, but I appreciate his perspective and, and his time. So we're going to take another break. I've been your host, Willow. You've been listening to The Raptor Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network, brought to you by Campbell's new Chunky Spicy Soup. When we come back, let's look at the NBA at large. Breaking down the top stories in the NHL every day. The Jeff Mary Show. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to the Raptor Show on the Sports Radio Network. I'm your host, Wayne Blue. You'll be joined by fill-in co-host Vivek M. Jacob. How are you feeling, man? You all right? I'm good, man. Do you want the M? Like, do you, do you like... When I say Vivek M. Jacob, or you just want to be Vivek Jacob? Like, I mean, Vivek Jacob is cool. Okay. Like, the M is just my middle initial. Yeah. It's kind of hard. It's kind of hard, <laughs> you know? Every great writer has a has an extra initial in the middle. You know? <laughs> um, yeah, man. What have you been working on these days, by the way? I see your, I see your bylines, you know, but I want to give your... Uh, your, your articles, some shine, some plug. Well, so you, you know, started a Substack. You um, know? Yeah, I mean, I, obviously, I'm I do my general NBA content for Sportsnet that you can always find, but uh, I kind of wanted to do something Raptors related in my own voice, and like I've got like my Cricket Canada responsibilities now, so I wanted you know I didn't want to be accountable to someone else in terms of the consistency and all that. So I thought once a week uh, is probably something I can commit to, and so I started 
my own Substack. It's called Raptors in Seven once a week. So I thought that tied in nicely mm. and, you know, had the first post on everything uh, Scotty Barnes. The, yeah, I saw that. The, uh, all the great promises shown, a few of the missteps. And, uh, yeah, and just uh, we'll see how that goes. That's a free Substack, right? You, anyone can go. It's free right now. It? Yeah. Yeah. All right. Raptors in Seven. I like it. Raptors have played a lot of seven-game series, for sure. Um, okay, we are also bringing in now to join us on segment three is uh, Sirat Soe of The Ringer. What's going on, Sirat? I'm getting 2019 uh, championship run vibes, the three of us on a podcast again together. So It does take me back. It does take me back. I'm yeah. happy about the takeover. Yeah, what's going on? Um, okay, so we wanted to bring you on not to talk about the Raptors because, you know, with all due respect, we did our best today, but uh, there's a lot of more <laughs> relevant teams around the league right now. And I kind of just wanted to take um, a time to just look at the contenders, uh, you know, and just the picture there and just sort of see. We understand, obviously, what makes these teams really good. And that's why they're, you know, top to standings. They've got a lot of great players, et cetera, et cetera. But maybe some of the things um, that may trip up some of these contenders. So I wanted to start in the East with the Bucks in particular, just because it feels like it's like super topical. And um, I just wanted to get your thoughts first and foremost on like why are the Bucks giving so many interviews uh, <laughs> that paint the picture <laughs> of a really fractured club? Can we start there? Oh uh, man, I don't know. I think if the low hanging fruit here would be the Doc Rivers effect. Probably a perfect storm with the NBA All-Star coming up. I saw Giannis sat down with a really interesting for a really interesting interview with uh, Malika Andrews. He also spoke with The Athletic. Giannis is an available guy, you know? Um, and Doc Rivers has done more than he possibly could to to make him av- make himself available and I feel like that actually I think you I think you kind of meant it as a joke in some ways, but I think it kind of cuts to at least the the public, the optical problem with the Doc Rivers era so far, and that that guy just loves to talk. He loves to talk. He cannot resist a good quip. He is incredibly good at them. That's why the the six months of Doc Rivers in the media that we got, other than the moments where he was doing an excellent job of painting himself in an incredible light, were really entertaining and illuminating. And maybe that's just what he's supposed to be doing. We know he's a charmer. We know he can woo an ownership group, walk into any interview and seemingly get the job regardless of, you know, what, what his references might have to say about him. So, yeah, I I don't know. They might want to, I don't know. I, I, I see your point. They might want to go into there for a bit and uh, and try to solve these issues from the inside. Yeah, just, um, you know, no more interviews for a while, I think, would, would really help. Um, by the way, so you mentioned one of the interviews. Giannis spoke to Eric Nam of The Athletic, and he gave a lot of really good quotes in there. All right. I, I love Giannis's, like, eternal, like, Here's my immigrant grind mentality. And he mm-hmm. brings that to every single interview he talks about, um, especially the ones with Dame. He, you know, he said in this interview with Eric, quote, I'm his biggest fan, him being Dame. Good or bad, I ride with Dame until the effing end. I ride with Dame. Like I've been saying this over and over again, this is his team. Down the stretch, he's going to get the ball. There's nothing else that we will do. I don't know how else to put it. I don't know what else to say. But at the end of the day, he has to believe it too. But in fact, when you hear that from Giannis about Dame, what are your thoughts? Because again, that doesn't sound like harmonious. You know, it sounds like he's trying to almost talk to his teammate through the athletic. 
Yes and no. I feel like on some level, he's just trying to make Dame feel comfortable as well. And it's like, okay. hey, there's not going to be any issue here in terms of you wanting the ball late or, you know, I'm not going to be pouting at the end of the game because I didn't get the ball. Mm. He like, just wants to win. We are here to see Dame time. Give us Dame time. Um, and so I, I don't take it so much as that. Uh, but, you know, the Sirat, the thing I'm interested to know from your perspective is to this point, I haven't seen enough of a defensive ceiling to see the Bucks as having that championship ceiling. Do you think Doc Rivers can get them there? Or can Pat Bev get them there? <laughs> okay. right. I think we're already seeing the flaws. Yeah. Uh, I think, yeah, I think if there's one thing that you do have to give Doc Rivers, it's that his teams have consistently performed on the defensive end. And we are seeing that from Milwaukee. I think last I checked, uh, since Adrian Griffin got fired, They've been a top six defense in the NBA, and previous to that, they were in the bottom ten. And it feels like there almost has been a bit of a Goldilocks effect since uh, since Doc took over. You know, I think first, you know, you had Mike Budenholzer, who was really stringent. Like he was, he was very stubborn about the way that he approached defense. Brooke Lopez was kind of perpetually in a deep drop. Uh, that was obviously going to have to change, regardless. Once they traded. Through holiday, you just you can't really have Damian Lillard and Brooke Lopez as your coverage in a deep drop because Dame can't get around screens the same way. And then the other issue is that Chris Middleton has spent so much time away as well. Uh, so then Adrian Griffin to take over this team that has Dame and put in what we are all familiar with as like a very aggressive, crappy, let's bring the bigs up to the top um, and try to almost take away everything scheme was just never going to work with this team. And I, I think the best example of what the Nuggets or what the Bucks should be looking at being defensively is sort of like this versatile conservatism that we saw in their, in their win against the Nuggets, which I think was their best win of the season. Uh, but, you know, it was just, it was cognizant of their personnel strengths and weaknesses. Uh, you had Lopez and Malik Beasley switching pick and rolls turning Jokic into more of a jump shooter, making sure there was a rim protector. You had, you know, Patrick Beverly, new signing, um, you know, hedging, not hard hedging, but soft hedging to help Damian Lillard when, you know, the ball is in Jamal Murray's hands, things like that, that are somewhere in between like the total aggression that we saw with Griffin and like the, the total conservatism that we saw with Mike Budenholzer. So I don't think, I, but I think something about that system though, is that that's not the type of system you run when you have incredibly high ceiling defenders. It's a type of system you run when you have a number of guys that need to be protected and they do have good protectors. They have Giannis, they have Lopez. Frankly, nothing happens for the Bucks if Chris Middleton can't be healthy. So for the purpose of, of the conversation we we're having, we have to slot him in there. You got Pat Bev. You know, Andre Jackson is a guy who I, who I love. Um, so I think if there's anything that's working, it is the way that they're playing defense. But to your question, no, it's not a high ceiling defense. I think it's a defense that, that can take away a number of things, but has to live with giving away some things as well. Yeah. Okay, so the Bucks got a lot of problems, a lot of question marks. They're also quite old as well. Probably the oldest team in the league, basically, when you look at their rotation. Um Elsewhere in the East, I think the Celtics probably is like the opposite of the Bucks in that way. It's like they can play defense however you really want, 
third in defense right now. First in offensive efficiency as well. I was actually a little surprised to see that. Um, didn't think the Pacers would be caught this year, but they're number two now. Um, yeah, first in offense, third in defense, probably the best top six in the entire league when they roll into the playoffs. It'll be Tatum, Brown, Porzingis, Drew Holiday, Derek White, and Al Horford. And then you you add a couple more pieces, I suppose. But, like, come on, the top six is crazy. Um, yeah, sir, if there is, is, like, one weakness for the Celtics, could you find one? Their only weakness, and I think it's from scanning and trying to find a weakness yeah. at this point, is this execution amnesia that just seems to befall them in every inopportune moment. <laughs> um, this playing down to their opponents. Um, when they move the ball, they are incredible on offense. And then I think sometimes when they get a lead, they can fall. Tatum and Brown both can still have these bouts where they fall into tunnel vision. Uh, but at this point, I mean, man, like this team, is it's, it's a perfectly constructed basketball team, right? I think we're we're all a little bit wary of crowning them because of some of the things that we've seen from them in the playoffs. And those things do still present themselves. But I think that it's happening less and less. Like, I think if there's something I can say about the Celtics is that those moments, they're either finding ways to win through them or they're finding ways to clean them up. But, you know, and they're still – they're too – their two stars are still relatively young. They've had a lot of playoff experience, so I think we see them see them as very, very grizzled. But they're still figuring it out. And I think I don't know. Like at this point, what do what do you? That's that's the only nit you can pick is that mm. they know what to do, and they sometimes don't always do do it. And in the throes of a regular season, that is just going to happen with every team. I still need to see it in the playoffs. I'm still a little spooked. Yeah. Uh, but at the same time, I don't know. There's just not a lot. There's not a lot of weaknesses to, to find the Celtics. V, do you see a weakness? <laughs> I mean, along the same lines, potentially, you know, their sort of shot diet and maybe how three-point happy they can be at times. They really don't go to the and, paint that much, but it's also because they're incredible yeah. three-point shooting. So Yeah, and I think that's what makes you say, okay, well, they've almost like countered the variance game by having so many three-point shooters where it's like, okay, even if two, three guys are off, they'll have another three, four guys that are yeah. on. Uh, and, Plus they have Porzingis to balance out like the little mismatches. They throw him in the post quite a bit and he does a really, really good job of scoring those yeah. mismatches. And, and I, th- I think, you know, a, a team that potentially can, you know, really make them answer some serious questions is probably like a Miami, you know, where you know Spo is going to be ready for them. Uh, so it's going to have to take an elite coach, mm-hmm. uh, an elite defense to really ask those questions because uh, that's the level level that they're on. Um, but yeah, beyond that, I think the Celtics right now for sure have to be heavy favorites to come out of the East. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, they definitely are. I, I think it's like a championship or bust type of season for them. It's not or bust because they have control over all these guys even next year. But, you know, I, expectation is clearly for them to make the finals and then actually win the finals this time. Really, the only thing with them is just like when you think about like top end players, w- players who like win finals MVP, like, a, you know, you look at the last couple, like Steph, uh, you look at obviously Jokic, uh, Kawhi when he's in Toronto, like that high, high, high end, I still feel like Tatum sometimes gets there and doesn't always get there in a way that like I would feel so confident about it but again we are literally trying to find like the smallest things 
and in Jalen Brown, and there really isn't. Jalen Brown has questions, uh, answer, uh, has to answer some questions too, right? Like yeah. in terms well, of. Well, he put on the glove for his left handed dunk, Vivek. <laughs> I mean, like, we're, we're good. <laughs> like, yeah. What more do you need to see, man? If he has, if he has another postseason where he's got more yeah. turnovers than assists, right? Like, yeah. well, then happen, you, so. you could see uh, the Celtics kind of coming apart at the seams there. And so I think mm-hmm. those top two guys have to answer some questions uh, in terms of consistency, in terms of ball movement, all of that. Um, but that's also why they got Drew Holiday and Kristaps Porzingis. Yeah, they got a lot of backup. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, Jalen is averaging a career high in assists this season too. It's not a lot. It's it's three point seven assists. I was gonna say it's a four. It's uh, accompanied by his lowest turnover count in a couple of years as well. So nice, he has nice. made some strides in that area. Uh, yeah. To your point, though, uh, the Celtics are four and nine when they shoot thirty two percent or less from the three point line. Mm. So getting them to shoot that number is easier said than done, but I think that is the one way that you beat the Celtics. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, this is going to be the team to beat in the Eastern Conference. I guess my other question with the East before we move on to West is just like, Knicks, Sixers, Pacers, I, I, let's throw the heat in there too if you suppose. Like, Are any of those teams like considered contenders to in your mind? Okay. So Knicks, Sixers, Pacers, Heat. That's interesting. And Cavs, obviously. And Cavs. Obviously, uh, and Cavs obviously. Oh, and Cavs. Yeah, and the Cavs. And the Cavs. I think they all have some interesting questions that they have to answer. The Pacers are the ultimate TBA for me right now, just because of how little time that they've had with a healthy Tyrese Halliburton and Pascal Siakam and Miles Turner. Um, I have some, even when they're healthy, I have some serious rebounding questions about them, and I do feel like they're a piece away. And I feel like with some of the deals that they've made. Sending out Buddy Heald. Their new starting lineup should be incredible defensively. You know, you have Andrew Nemhard um, and Aaron Neesmith, Siakam, and Turner surrounding Ty Halliburton. Like, you basically have four plus defenders there. But I worry about the functional spacing. Like, we know how stra- uh, streaky Siakam can be. Mm. Um, Andrew Nemhard's having a down year from the three point line. Neesmith's been incredible, but I don't. I still think that it's going to take him some time to command that respect. Um, and Turner is having a kind of down year from the three-point line too. Grant he doesn't need to space the floor as much as a five. Uh, but yeah, I mean they they feel like they are. In a, it's, it's become a gap year for them. I feel like they need to retool this off season and really figure out how to build around Ty Halliburton and uh, and Siakam. But and and I think with the Knicks. The biggest thing I just worry about is the is the health. Can they get healthy in time for the postseason? And then beyond that, like how much of a creation burden are we going to have on Jalen Brunson? Right, um, the Boyan trade definitely helps with that, but I still think they're going to need like an actual number two. Right now, I feel like they have a lot of really nice guys around him, but I think when push comes to shove, like what do you do when he's just exhausted mm. down the line? Like you know, like his second round game six sort of situation that that makes me a little nervous I that's mean, julius randall time baby tom thibodeau's <laughs> answer to that is always more <laughs> exactly well i guess he's exactly. getting them prepared but you know it. you can't burn the candle on both ends for that long right like we, we we've seen we've seen that with nick nurse and and the raptors in the past too like there's just there's there's a limit to the power of effort and at a certain point you start to get diminishing returns yep so you guys aren't confident in julius mm-hmm. randall just just want to be <laughs> All-star? No. All-star Julius Randle? No? No. I mean, he did make the all-star team. So. He did? I mean, he's been playing well before he got hurt. It's true. Yeah. No, he's, yeah. Been, he he's been playing well. Yeah. He's been he playing was. Well. 
I worry a little bit about their defense once everybody gets healthy, like plugging oh, Randall and Boyan into their starting lineup. Um, you know, obviously having Jalen, Ojeanobi, Isaiah Hartenstein really helps. I think I worry less if Mitchell Robinson gets back healthy. I think he can just clean up so much. If he doesn't, then I'm like, well, are you guys basically going away from your identity in order to find a little bit more, like, offense, offense around Brunson? I think I kind of have similar questions about Cleveland as well, where I really, really like a lot of the guys that they have, but I'm also just like, okay, what's your ideal playoff closing five going to be? Now that Darius Garland and Evan Mobley are back, it's definitely a more dynamic lineup than they had, but the the team that they had when they went on their 16 and one run they were starting dean wade and jared allen was the only rim runner on that on that in that starting lineup it was just a much more simplified way of creation for donovan mitchell like who could just basically run pick and rolls around shooters and have a rim runner around him i think that would have gotten flattened out in the playoffs but now that those guys are back I have questions like how how much can Mobley develop his range? Will will people respect that? Darius Garland, how much can he fit around Donovan Mitchell? And then on the other end, how much are other teams going to try to basically just put him on an island and, and neutralize this great Cavs defense? Mm. A lot of questions, especially I think last year, the lingering impression for the Cavs was like, damn, they are not ready. Mm-hmm. Um, the lights were brighter than expected. That was literally from Jared Allen. Yep. But mm-hmm. you know they've been they've been they've been rolling. I, I feel like spacing wise is still definitely a concern for me. Like I just don't think mm-hmm. Evan and Jared are a great combo in that front. I, I know Evan has shot the three decently since coming back, but not at a volume where people are going to be respecting the shot enough. And they've been playing really well with um, with kind of just one big and four spacers around them as well. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, V like. I guess we didn't hear much about the Sixers. It's really just if MB comes back healthy. But even if he does come back healthy, it's not like it's not like I'm like super confident in the Sixers, even with him back at full hundred percent and for the playoffs. I mean, I would if he if he is healthy for the playoffs, I would be confident enough in them to think that they can make the East Finals as long as they don't have to play the Celtics. Like I would still okay. think it's a pick 'em between them and the Bucks, for example. Like I think with Melton coming back from injury, Kyle Lowry getting into the mix, I think they'll have some interesting combinations uh, at the guard spot. Uh, and I think, obviously, Embiid is going to be Embiid. Um, and Buddy Heald has actually been handling the ball quite a bit since he's come over to Philly. And, okay, okay. Um, I think that's going to be a significant threat when Embiid has the ball, right? Like, that guy is going to knock down three after three and open look after open look. So... I think the Sixers are prepping, like, for me, when they made the heel deal, mm. um, as opposed to waiting, I think there's an expectation that Embiid will be back before the start of the postseason. Okay. Um, and I think, you know, they're going to give it a go in this postseason. I think uh, as long as Embiid is at least 80%, yeah, uh, I would expect them to uh, compete in the East semis, mm. and then depending on the matchup, come out of it. Do you have any concerns about them defensively? By the way, it, fun fact, Buddy Hill has literally never made the playoffs and he's 31 years old, which is kind of incredible, but I'd be happy for him when he finally breaks the streak. Life with the Kings. <laughs> Life with the Kings and the Pacers. But um, yeah, I mean, yeah. Do you have any concerns about them defensively? Because it does feel like, okay, yes, offensively makes a lot more sense, but I don't know if a lot of it comes down to Embiid and I also need him to carry the offense as well. And on both yeah. ends, endurance-wise, we know Embiid doesn't have that much gas in the tank. 
Yeah, no, I mean, they do ask a lot uh, out of him, but again, I, I think... Is this where Nick Nurse and his schemes have to come in and carry yeah. the day? But I, I do think they have missed DeAnthony Melton on okay. that end. I think he's a really, really strong defender at the guard spot. I think Kyle Lowry is going to help them as a team defender. Um, I think that uh, Tobias Harris has improved uh, on the defensive end over the years, and I think he's uh, had important matchups in the playoffs. Uh, we saw, you know, when the Raptors... Uh, lost to the Sixers uh, a couple years ago. He did pretty well in that matchup against uh, Pascal Siakam. For sure. So, Physicality was there. Uh, yeah. And so I think uh, that's going to be the key for them. Can those guys do enough uh, to, you know, just let Embiid do his thing? Mm. Okay. Uh, moving over to the West. Um, obviously, the Nuggets, reigning champions. I, I think for them, we don't. there's not much conversation they had because they pretty much have the same team. My question is basically just like their depth. You know, how many guys off that bench do you trust? But realistically, their starting five is awesome. We could just skip over the Nuggets, honestly. I'm, I'm not too concerned about them. Um, Minnesota and... Can, we just, can yeah. we just add Peyton Watson? Can I just say Peyton Watson and okay. then we can move on? <laughs> yeah. yeah. That's it. No, Peyton That's it. He's for sure. Because like, <laughs> no, my question awesome. was like, who, who do you trust the most off their bench? And it was, yeah, I, mean, I think it is Peyton Watson because it wasn't going to be Reggie Jackson or... I don't know, man. I've seen a lot of DeAndre Jordan. I'm like, wow, okay. Still? Yeah. But... In any case, uh, we'll move to Minnesota, who are actually uh, top of the West right now. Um, Sierra, what's your what's your biggest question for Minnesota in terms of as they head into the playoffs? Uh, maturity, just maturity, maturity? more than okay. anything else. Yeah, yeah, and and I think I think the Monte Morris trade is a great move for them. Like, there's not there's nothing more as as a as like a self improvement slash like just self immolation junkie. There's Nothing that I know. I this is this is actually probably this was a whoa. Where are you going with this? When, Let's go. When Blake was here, actually, I, I think, <laughs> I think. Uh, but no, uh, I, there's nothing. There's nothing I love more than somebody who knows exactly what's wrong with them and tries to fix it. Oh, um, nice. And that's exactly what I think Minnesota. It had it. Yeah, we got there. Yeah, got okay. there. All right, all right, yeah. Wow. Um, but that's exactly what I think Minnesota did. You know, like I think adding Monte Morris, who is like one of the lowest turnover backup point guards in the NBA. He obviously has experience with Tim Connolly and their days with Denver has been a really, really good move for them. Um, but I still think it's going to take internal improvement from the guys that are already there. Like I just, I love the growth that Minnesota has had throughout the season. Um, they've obviously toppled every reasonable expectation you could have had for them, but they have a lot of high voltage guys, you know? Mm. Um, and we, we saw it in, in the way that things shook out for them at the end of the end of the season last year with the, the uh, explosion that they had. There's a lot of combustibility. Kyle Anderson's a spicy guy. Rudy Gobert is spicy. Anthony Edwards is spicy. Carl mm. Anthony Towns is, I think, emotionally intelligent, but spicy, emotional mm. at the same time. So I just kind of, I hope that they have enough, like, of an internal locker room grounding force when things get real in the playoffs and, and the pressure gets real because we've seen it with this team a couple of times this regular season already. Like, uh, Anthony Edwards has nine technical fouls on the season already. He's been really, really getting it, getting into it with the referees. Towns has always been one of those guys. Mm. Um, McDaniels punched I mean, something like, randomly last year at a terrible time. Yes, yes, like, exactly. That was but wild. This is what I'm talking about. This, it's the yeah. self-sabotage. It's just the self-sabotage yeah. that they kind of have to figure out because they're so talented. They're still really young. Um, so, you but know, they're expensive it's not, already. It's not something, 
they are expensive they are expensive but it's not something i worry about with their core if they're willing to pay for this core it's something i worry about two years down the line i think that edwards and mcdaniels will have plenty of time and opportunity to grow but for this particular season uh they just have moments like there was a game there was a game i think like two weeks ago against the magic where mcdaniels plays really good defense on 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 paulo banquero at the end of the clock um as the game is running down trying to get the ball back and then fouls him intentionally with like like after you've burnt like 20 seconds of the clock there's just like you're completely going away from the game plan you didn't have to do that Mm. so it tells me that there's like a level of like maybe impulsivity there that's still you know maybe gonna bear itself out when when the when the lights get brighter so that's that's the thing that i worry about the most with that team and obviously their offensive creation but i think that those things like they have so much versatility and with the way that Carl Anthony Towns is playing and the way that they're utilizing him, I worry about that less. Yeah, I really appreciate that Minnesota has just realized. And they're like, let's just bring in the most responsible point guards in the league. Yeah. Like, how about we do that? How about we have Mike Conley <laughs> and then, like, essentially a backup Mike Conley <laughs> like yeah. Monty Morris. So, yeah. Well, they're it's, getting killed in a non-Mike Conley minutes, right? So, I was it's, like, okay, it's smart, what we got to do. We need Mike Conley all the time. They just need organization. Because the thing is, like, a lot of, like, offenses and things like that, like, yeah, you just need people in the right places and actually just run your stuff. Yeah. And yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing how they handle the challenge of the playoffs. No, so this was never going to happen, but I would have loved if, uh, if not Monte Morris, if it ended up being Kyle Lowry and having Mike Conley and Kyle Lowry as the two guys like shepherding. Yeah. Yeah. I'm sure Kyle would have loved to back up Mike again. You know, he's like, again, still after all this time. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Kyle might be a little too spicy. I think Kyle is perfect in, in Philadelphia where they could use a little bit more of that. Yeah. <laughs> um, okay, OKC. Okay, in fact, I'll turn to you. Um, obviously, they're having an amazing season. Shea, MVP candidate. Number two in the Bontemps Strong poll. You know what I mean? Sick poll. Love that poll. Uh, my favorite polls. Um, yeah, do you have a issue to pick with OKC? If I, if, I had to, if I had a bone to pick with them, it's maybe just... Can they deal with the physicality inside in the postseason? Okay. Um, we did see Jakob Pertl put a hurting on them, which is kind of hilarious. But Yeah, and so if you're going up against a, a guy like Jokic, if you've got two bigs like Kat and uh, Gobert, um, obviously LeBron if, if you've got to deal with uh, Anthony Davis and LeBron James, I think those are where uh, you, know, you could see some issues. Uh, I am also curious to see, you know, Shea is a very uh slithery guy um who gets a lot of calls and I, i'm curious to see how that plays out in the postseason uh and him getting obviously he, he's played uh in that type of setting before uh but i think it'll be interesting to see how this version of shea uh plays out and you know i have no doubt that he'll be a success but being that superstar mvp type level is another challenge in the playoffs and so I think those are the two things I'm looking to see. Will he get enough support? Uh, it's one thing to get it in the regular season um, from, you know, Jay Williams and uh, Chet Holmgren. But I think now in the postseason, you know, if I were to compare Minnesota and OKC, I like that Minnesota at least has that experience from last year to look back on in that series against the Nuggets. Uh, you know, the way they blew that game against the Lakers uh, in the play-in where realistically they should have won that game. Uh, and yeah. then the Lakers just closed it out in the in the fourth quarter. So uh, I think those lessons um, that they got from last year will serve them well now. Mm. Um, and I don't think OKC has had those lessons yet. Okay. 
I like that. I like that. It's interesting. I'm, I'm going to be certainly the the lack of secondary scoring. I think for me, like maybe we'll see it. I think I, I the playoffs is an opportunity for for guys to really emerge, but they do feel like so young and. Especially again, going back to when the Raptors played uh, OKC, they did a really good job shutting down Shea. And the first half, when other guys weren't making threes, like it was easy, even for the Raptors, to build a big lead against them. Now, of yeah. course, they ultimately won that game. They showed a lot of resilience, but yeah, I mean, still, it was a lot of like Lou Dort made a bunch of big threes, and like yeah. Josh Giddy made plays, and I'm like, yeah, this and teams will live with that, that in the postseason. Uh, it's like, hey, <laughs> if if Lou Dort and yeah, Josh yeah. Giddy end up making six to eight combined threes in a game. And we lose one game like that. Yeah. I don't think, you know, teams will look at that and say, we're not going to lose four games like that in the series. I was like Chris Tucker uh, with Don Cheeto. I was like, ooh, this fake. <laughs> I, was, I was burning that $100 bill. That was not real. Um, the Clippers. The Clippers, I feel like, I had a really hard time picking holes in the Clippers. Um, and, Sarah, I know you're a longtime Clipper observer. Um, do you see anything with the Clippers? Besides, obviously, yes, these guys have injury track records and if they get hurt obviously their chances get derailed but besides that like in terms of actual roster build the talent the people they got on the roster is there any concerns for you for the clippers uh yeah yeah i have one one concern for the clippers that i think could figure heavily in the western conference uh their size there okay. I, th- I think if you if you look at the teams that have given them trouble all of them have something in common they play huge front lines like the teams that have that they, as a as a healthy unit, have lost to have been the Cavaliers, the Lakers, the Celtics, uh, the Pelicans, mm. and the Timberwolves. Mm. Minnesota bo- bullied them before the break. Minnesota's bullied them twice. Minnesota's bullied them twice, and that's the only team in the NBA to have done that. Um, and I think that is the one issue that I see with them. You know, I think it's just a lot for Ivaka Zubac to be asked to handle a like too big front line alone and like you know this is part of the size that they sort of relinquished in the James Harden trade giving up Nicholas Batum giving up Robert Covington giving up Marcus Morris um I think most for the most part Clippers fans are kind of happy that Ty Lue doesn't get to lean on Marcus Morris quite as much as he used to but I think that in some of the losses we're seeing why he did that because right now it seems like when they get bullied their number one option is to try to turn the tables on you and play small. Sometimes that can work, but we've also seen a number of times this season that it hasn't worked quite as well. So that's the number one thing that concerns me. Like when I look at the Clippers trajectory through the playoffs, the biggest thing that I'm wondering about is the matchups that they'll get. Mm. And then if they'll get some shooting luck or maybe if they can pick up somebody in the buyout market, they, they can't, they can't pick anybody who already made uh, more than the non-tax player mid-level because of the new uh, CBA first apron rules. And we obviously know the Clippers have an incredible payroll with the stars that they have on their team. Um, but yeah, I mean, beyond that, they're they're really good. They're really deep. They execute their offense well. I think when they try, they're a good defense. They're a really, really good defensive team. They're not always going to try. They're pretty old. I don't really care about that in the regular season. Uh, but yeah, it's just that, you know, it, it, and they don't have, they don't have guys that you can like really tenably play together as like a two big lineup, you know, like you can't really play Mason Plumley and mm. Zubash together without completely killing your spacing. I just, I don't even think that that's something that like most coaches would try. Mm. Um, if we do see them in the playoffs, I think we know that something's gone horribly something's wrong. Something's gone really wrong. Uh, yeah. 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 I think Kobe Brown, their rookie is a guy who's like really somebody that they wanted to potentially be able to solve that problem but he's just a little too raw he's got the size for it 
Um, but he's just not he's just not quite there yet. So that's that's the one thing with the Clippers. I think maybe going back to the 2019 thing that we started on, it's just like I don't know. I have this ultimate faith in Kawhi to just be like, just just go ahead and do it. Like again, this is five years ago, but mm-hmm. it's like okay, Giannis is a huge problem. Guess what? He's going to guard Giannis, and it's going to be okay. We're going to have rebounding issues sometimes when we have our certain lineups out there. It's okay. Boardman gets paid. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, I'm, I'm hoping that playoffs come around, Kawhi just, like, takes up to the next level and solves some of that at least because, yeah, yeah you know. I think we all think just want to see Kawhi healthy. He can do that against. Yeah. 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 Beyond, yeah. Beyond anything else. Yeah. I think there are a couple of guys that he can do that against. I think that if you put him on Anthony Davis – that's fine. I think that Anthony Davis is like pretty easily bothered by high pressure defense and size. Mm. I think through the course of a seven game series, if he is guarding Carl Anthony Towns, I, I will fine. bet on Carl Anthony Towns cowering more than I will bet on like, you know, by game, game seven, game six, but Zion. No. Okay. Like that's, you know what I mean? Like, there's a couple of guys where I'm just like, no, that's like, that's like, because you got it. You have yeah. to take his health into account when you think about these things, too. The Pelicans are an interesting one. I didn't really make this list, but um, I watched that one uh, where the Pelicans uh, went into Staples or uh, went into crypto and actually beat the Clippers. And I was just like, dude, there's just like a walking mismatch at every position. Like, they're really, really hard to account for. Um, perimeter scoring wise, it's a lot of like relying on Sage McCollum. But I don't know the amount of pressure they put on you with their size because they have skill at, you know, in, in Brandon Ingram, who's so tall. And then they have skill in Zion, who is so unique in the way he's like just like a boulder, just like charging at you, always getting to the rim. I don't know. I, I, I ultimately don't trust. Oh, of course, JV's a battering ram in the middle of it all. But um, I don't trust the Pelicans as like a contender or anything like that. But I don't know. Like they are a really tough matchup. I'm sure a lot of teams don't want to play them. And they've got depth, right? Like you have depth. When, yeah, when you look at you've got Trey Murphy as an option. You've got Naj Marshall as an option. You've got, um, you know, Jose Alvarado coming off the bench. So I feel like for them, one of the measures I look for in being able to cause serious play- playoff problems is can you be sort of that Swiss Army knife and mm. can you just match up with teams in different ways? And I think for sure. They are one of the teams that you look at. It's like, oh, okay, we got some size to deal with. Well, here's JV. We got, uh, we got to play a bit, a bit of bully ball. You know, there's Zion. Yeah, we yeah. got to, we got to play against a team. We got to switch a lot. Here's Larry Nance. Like, exactly. They have right? options. So, right. so I think from that standpoint, they're going to be uh, a very tough out. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, I think uh, the, you know, the experience and all of that. You probably, if they, if they end up uh, playing, you know, the Clippers, the Nuggets. Um, then I think that's going to be a problem for them. Sierra, I'm curious. Uh, recently, uh, I believe it was Brandon Pajemski talking about uh, Steve Kerr looking at the standings and saying their goal is to catch one of the Pelicans or the Suns, get into that five or six spot, um, and avoid the play-in. They're five games out right now. Have you seen enough from the Warriors in that sort of stretch right before the All-Star break. Obviously, they had that one game where they blew a big lead against the Clippers, but, uh, you know, since they've kind of shifted younger uh, and Draymond has really stepped up to the plate, they've played some good basketball. Do you see them as a team on the rise now? Yeah, absolutely. I think they've had the second-best net rating in the NBA since Draymond Green has returned. Um, And 
I mean, that's kind of what it all comes down to, right? Like, how 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 much at this point can you bank on Draymond Green? They have to. They have to because of how much he does for them. I think we've seen that with, uh, you know, just their performance since he's been back. Uh, he unlocks so much for them. Steph Curry becomes immediately a better shooter when Draymond Green is playing alongside him. He makes the Kaminga-Wiggins duo actually tenable to play together, which is so important for their frontline defense, especially if they're going to be playing a lot of perimeter-oriented guys. Um, he's just, I mean, and he's hes their brain. He's their brain on offense and defense. Like, they just don't go without him. You've got some, you know, you've got some good growth. Like, Pajemski's been awesome. I think Trace Jackson Davis is get, getting better by the game. Lester Kinyoni is just kind of cut kind of came out of nowhere. I think he just got converted mm-hmm. uh, to a regular season contract after being a two-way guy a couple days ago. Uh, so things are definitely starting to work out in their favor. Having Gary Payton be healthy, I think it's huge for them. It just unlocks a lot of different lineup combinations for them. They can go smaller. Um, he can always guard the best perimeter player or the best forward, the best anybody on the team. He's easily their best isolation defender. Uh, so they've definitely got a lot of things going for them. But man, I'm also just like, it's just, it's tough. It's tough to really put a lot of faith in this team, given what we've seen so far with like this high wire act tightrope mm-hmm. that Draymond Green is walking and that they're walking with Draymond Green, you know, like just like the, the podcast, the, the some of the stuff that you hear on the podium, the whole like, you know, if Nurkic hadn't fallen down and stayed on the ground, if I punched him once, I punched him in the face. Um, this whole suspension thing wouldn't have happened, which was just like, Dude, oh my god, he's on like, him, he's on like him. gaslighting, like, <laughs> yep. like gaslighting yeah, is crazy. Him. Like, oh my god, like it was just like it just shows you that, like, ultimately at this point, like from a psychological perspective, nobody changes in the course of like you know, employ employment mandated therapy at the end of the day. This guy wow. right now okay. is who he is. In the span of a month. <laughs> um, in the span yeah, like these are light these are lifelong things that we're talking about with him. So he is just, you know, like this this is what they have to deal with, you know, and if he can kind of keep it together in an interesting way, I think sometimes it's worked out really in their favor. Um, I think he's finding other ways to like release this intensity that he has and it's been really fun to watch him just like be this like tongue wagging really strange heel i love when the nba has a legitimate villain so mm. long as they're not actually physically hurting people right. if you can walk that he line it's a that, lot of though. fun and i think it like yeah he does right like, you, can't, <laughs> you can't like necessarily count on him always walking that line they need like they, it's like it's always the same old story for them right like they, they need his edge they do need his edge. You know what? Honestly, Sarah, I appreciate you coming on because you, you took this pod to places that I wasn't expecting to today. So <laughs> uh, I appreciate you joining us as always. But uh, yeah, it's a good look at the rest of the league um, and the playoff picture. Because again, you know, Raph's not going to be in it. So <laughs> Sarah, I appreciate you. All right, we're going to let you go. Thanks for having me. Thanks for having me, guys. That's Sarah Zoe of The Ringer. Um, hey, quickly before we go, I've been thinking about this. I finally, I formulated it. Time now for the spicy take of the day. Brought to you by New Chunky Spicy Soup. Are you ready to get fired up? Here's my spicy take. Okay. Doc Rivers is catching way too much heat right now. Look, I understand that they're three and seven since he took over, and they were with, what, 31 and 13 when he was brought on. But the amount of, like, hate on all 
all the things built into it already. Like, he's the number one thing on Twitter right now when you look at the NBA. It's just, like, people blaming Doc, the, the whole J.J. Reddick conversation around Doc, and other players maybe jumping into that. Like, I get it. He doesn't have a great history. We've made fun of Doc on this podcast before. But at least wait to let, let him let him blow the 3-1 lead first. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. if you're so confident it's going to happen, just wait till it happens there. Like, right now, if the Bucks fail this season, Doc is not the main reason. Not a doctor. It's Dame and it's Giannis. And it's the rest of the guys on that team. You know, like we're the fact that Doc is there and he's taking all this heat. It's like, what about the fact that Chris Middleton doesn't play all that much and he just continues to not be at the same level he was, you know, that we've seen when he won the championship, for example. What about Brooke Lopez looking increasingly older? Bobby Portis, you know, like same kind of deal. The roster construction looking old. It's not just Doc, man. I mean, and we're just like, he can't just take the fall for the whole thing, especially because he just got there, man. Yeah. And you know, not, the quotes, whatever. The quotes, that's on him. But like, the problem with court, like, we're just, we're jumping ahead of the gun, blaming Doc already. That's all. That's my spicy pick. Yeah. No, I, I think that's actually not super spicy. Okay. I think relative to what everyone is saying. That's Alex you know, Wong's spicy? <laughs> is that mild? <laughs> no, it, it's more than a mild. I'll give you that. <laughs> okay. All right. <laughs> but I think that's, that's a perf- perfectly reasonable thing to say. I think when you look at, you mentioned the roster construction, you look at the decisions that influenced uh, moving on from Adante DiVincenzo and you look at the things that he's doing with the Knicks, you look at what uh, Grayson Allen is bringing to the table with the Phoenix Suns, like those were key losses too. Like, yeah, we could talk about Drew Holiday and the loss that is on the defensive end, but in terms of the depth, mm-hmm. right? Like the fact that, you know, when we were talking to Ciro, like we went from talking about Middleton to Andre Jackson real quick. Mm. So yeah, uh, I think that is more of the problem that the Milwaukee Bucks face right now. And that is that that part of it is not on Doc. Now, is he helping himself with some of the stuff that he is saying? No. Yeah. Should he show more accountability and uh, just own certain well, what, situations? What does he want to sure. do? Like, he just got there. Like, he's going to be like, yo, yeah. this is all my fault. Sorry, guys. I built this roster. Sorry, no. these guys are all because of me. Sorry that Dame is not necessarily happy here. Like, you know, like, it's, dude, it's a lot of things. But also when, just him. when you're, you know, just new to a team and you're building relationships, I think when you lose that final game before the All-Star break, mm-hmm. just take the L and say, hey, we weren't prepared, whatever, you know, <laughs> and, and take it top down. Uh, as opposed to just being like, oh, we had some guys here. Yeah. We had some guys in Cabo, you know? Uh, and ah, He does love so, a little quote. He does love yeah. a little quote, yeah, yeah. for sure. Yeah. So I think he doesn't help himself. But at the same time, you know, when you look at recent history, like, do I think... Uh, that the Sixers lost to um, Boston because of him? Not really. Like, they had the lead, and then James Harden went, you know, playoff James Harden. Like, you look at his box scores from game six and seven. Like, he was miserable. Yeah. That's why they lost. Wow. I think we're the only program to defend Doc today. That's why it was a spicy (laughs) take. That's all. I just think, look, listen, we'll have plenty of time. If it's going to go the way it goes to, to hit on Doc. But this is jumping the gun already. But anyway, we're going to take our last break of the day. I've been your host, Willow. You've been listening to The Raptor Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network, brought to you by Campbell's new Chunky Spicy Soup. The best Blue Jays show out there, period. Blair and Barker. Be sure to subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to the Raptor Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. I'm your host, William Luke. Continue to be joined by fill-in co-host, Big V Vivek Jacob, who will also be co-hosting the Raptor Show with me tomorrow as well as Blake Murphy takes a well, well-deserved uh, two-week break here. Uh, Blake, I hope you are on a beach somewhere, reading a book, watching wrestling, doing the things that you really love. Um, 
Okay. Really quickly, before we talk about the game tonight, um, just a couple notes about that game. So first off, the game is at 7 p.m. Normally, when it tips off in Toronto, it's at 7.30, but it's at 7 p.m. tonight. It's also Caribbean Heritage Night, which last year was really, really fun. Raptors beat the Pelicans that night, and uh, a lot of people got uh, doubles. Yep. Introduced the doubles for the first time, including a uh, friend of the program, Matt Devlin. That was that was really awesome. And, of course, this being the Brooklyn Nets, uh, Dennis Schroeder will be returning to Toronto since uh, for the first time since getting traded, uh, the Raptors will be looking to get their first win in the division. <laughs> Hopefully they do that before March comes around. But uh, yeah, V, real quickly, you got a, you got a favorite Dennis Schroeder moment as a Raptor? He, other than him coming on the show all the time, you know? Yeah, yeah. You know, this will tell you how much of a memory it was, but he, ha- he did have that one amazing pass where he dummied a guy. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. And he was a pretty slick I, passer for sure. Yeah, so I, I think he had some slick passes in his time. I'll, I'll probably go with that. Mm-hmm. Obviously, you know, I respect the soccer fans, so yeah. he's a big soccer fan. Right. Um, you've had some conversations with him about that. So, yeah, shout out to Dennis. Yeah, this guy was, he got guys like Mbappe and like Ashraf Hakimi to be doing his celebration. Yeah. You know what I mean? That's yeah. crazy. Yeah, good for Dennis, man. I'll be looking forward to, to seeing Dennis again and just catching up with him. Yeah, um, babe, you're sweet. <laughs> <laughs> That's my favorite Dennis Schroeder moment, actually. It's just that little clip, man. Can't believe that uh, that will now have to live on. Um, but hopefully we get one more Dennis interview as well. Maybe we'll just catch up on what he's uh, been going through. But, of course, it's all-star break. Got traded. Busy time in his life. Anyway, speaking of that game, time now for Between the Lines, brought to you by Bet Rivers. Take a chance. The line tonight, Raptors favored by one and a half. Good to note here, clean bill of health for both clubs. So you will get to see the full strength Brooklyn Nets versus the full strength Toronto Raptors. Uh, two teams maybe, hopefully, you know, trying to get into that play-in range and, and doing something there. But ultimately, um, both having disappointing uh, seasons. If, if you looked at this as a key matchup, is there a key matchup for you on paper in this one, Vivek Jacob? I mean... We got Ben Simmons healthy, so maybe oh. he gets a look at Scotty Barnes. Mm, we to do what? What's he, what's <laughs> to he? defend him. Oh, okay. All right. <laughs> Interesting. You know, we can obviously that's where a key matchup that, is a starter versus the bench man. I mean, that's the matchup if in terms of defensively who you'd want to see, right? Like, okay. I think okay. I think that would present theoretically the biggest challenge to Scotty and how he handles that. Um, I think, you know, who the Raptors put on Mikhail Bridges will be interesting. Um, yeah, he did torch and, the Raptors a little bit. Uh, last time that just put the nets. Yeah, so uh, I think can RJ Barrett take that challenge and do something with it? Uh, that would be so. nice to see. Uh, you know, got torched by his brother, so hopefully that changes now. Mm, mm. But we'll we'll see. Uh, beyond that, I think this is. I will say I, I do think this is a game the Raptors should win. Uh, okay, because it's at home. Yeah, because, yeah, because they're at home. The Nets have lost five of six. The only win came against San Antonio. The Raptors can't say much about that because they did get <laughs> stomped on say, by San Antonio. By 30. Yeah. <laughs> but I, I do think uh, if they can come out with the right energy um, and show some inspiration from, you know, talking to GSP, mm, they can come right. out with a W. There you go. Show that fighting spirit, man. Yeah. Dark will continuously come up with creative things to do in practice. Because, you know, they've had like four training camps. So, you know, you got to keep it fresh. Anyway, yeah. Uh, I actually... 
don't like this for the Raptors. I feel like the Nets can switch a lot and neutralize a lot of what the Raptors want to do offensively. And they also have a really good shot a blocker in the paint. But anyway, that's Between the Lines brought to you by Bet Rivers. Take a chance. And that does it for us today. I've been your host, Willow. You've been listening to the Raptors show on the Sportsnet Radio Network brought to you by Campbell's new Chunky Spicy Soup. It's time to get fired up. Make sure you find the Raptors show wherever you listen to podcasts and subscribe. And please rate and review the program. Big thanks to producers. I'm a man. Our board producer, Derek Brandale, Jennifer Rolnick, David Sis, Jeremy Manitad, helping behind the seats. Uh, big you thanks sweet. to. <laughs> all right. You know what? No thanks to Derek. Take that back. All right. Thanks to Vivek Jacob for co hosting. We'll see you tomorrow. Thanks to Sir Sohi for calling in. Garrett Temple for speaking with me yesterday. And we'll talk to you tomorrow.